You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual What is it with Christian family vloggers? Most of us, most of you, once upon a time, me, I had no idea that Christian family vlogger was a thing, much less a lucrative field that a good Christian family could go into. But Christian family vloggers are a thing. And we began to hear about this thing, these people who do little YouTube videos about their upstanding values and their family values and their Christian values and their lives with their spouses and children we heard about this phenomenon, or I became aware of it, when a prominent Christian family vlogger was caught up in the Ashley Madison scandal. Sam Radar, he's the guy who, with his wife, had one of their family Christian vlogger videos go viral. And it was the one, perhaps you remember it, where he snuck some of her pee out of the toilet and then surprised her with her positive pregnancy test, which I don't know if that's a thing that's possible. Uh, most women that I know flush the toilet when they use the toilet. Most married ladies... Don't leave piss or shit sitting there in the toilet for their husbands to happen upon later. At least the Christian ladies that I grew up around were all flushers, but not Sam Raider's wife. Maybe it's an environmental thing. She's not a flusher. And he scooped up some of her pee. And despite it having been diluted in the toilet water, it returned a positive pregnancy test. And they jumped up and down and they were so excited and got all this attention and then did another video a few weeks later announcing that they had had a miscarriage and she wasn't pregnant at all. And people, although always – Sad for people who've had experienced the tragedy of a miscarriage. People kind of side-eyed that a little bit because it got a lot of attention for the miracle of the diluted pee, didn't flush, positive pregnancy test viral video. And then it came out that this Christian family vlogger was on Ashley Madison, had an account, and he had to go online and make sincere apologies and also tell us that he had confessed this sin, that he had discussed it with his discipleship partner and that he had been completely cleansed of this sin and we should all just move the fuck on and he should get back to scolding other people about their lifestyle choices. And now, just last week, another Christian family vlogger steps in it. Who knew that there were more than one? This one is 350,000 subscribers and you can monetize 350,000 subscribers on YouTube. You make money doing this and and this guy, Austin Knoll, and his wife, Britt, were making money doing this Christian family vlogger thing. Uh, interestingly, Austin Knoll, back when Sam Rader had his little scandal with the Ashley Madison account, he publicly scolded Sam Rader and told him to get off YouTube and focus on his family. Focus on the family. Where have we heard that expression before? Tweet it out. Please stop vlogging. This is Austin scolding Sam. Please stop vlogging and focus on your family. They say any publicity is good publicity, but I disagree. God bless. And now Austin Null is having some publicity of his own because dirty, dirty pictures, sexts have surfaced online of Austin Null masturbating, jacking it, jerking up, ejaculating all over his tummy. He's not a bad looking guy. Hot pics, ejaculating into a toilet. Toilets seem to feature prominently in the Christian family vlogger genre. Jacking off into a toilet, hopefully not the same toilet that Sam Radar fishes his wife's piss out of for pregnancy tests. And it turns out that he had a five-month affair-ish thing going on with a woman who'd reached out to him. Well, he says it was a woman. But I'm curious, actually, about what was really going on with Austin. Because in his apology video, 
He begins with this. It was actually a year ago. Someone reached out to me, sent me some pictures and stuff. A girl, a girl. And then he interrupts himself to clarify that he's talking about a girl. Begins with sort of gender-free vagueness, like someone... And then, oh, girl, out comes the panic. And I only bring this up because one of the pictures just has me really curious about what was really going on with Austin. Because it's a picture that I don't think dudes take of themselves to send to women. He's leaning way back. The camera is down basically between his knees looking up, which in Gayland is sometimes called the bitch perspective shot. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's a terrible expression. People shouldn't use it, but that's what people call it. And he's fingering his hole as he masturbates. Now, maybe there's women out there who want to see that. Maybe there's women out there into pegging. Maybe she was kind of enticing because she was dom and she told him to do it. But that just seems like the kind of picture that dudes send dudes, like hole pictures. Like I don't know a lot of women out there. Like a lot of women out there don't want to get dick pics at all. And I expect the numbers of women out there who want to get hole pics, much less dick and hole and finger in hole pics all at once. Or even fewer on the ground. And I don't know what's up with Austin. I'm just speculating based on the evidence at hand and whole. But anyway, Christian bloggers, they're a thing. And they misbehave online when they're not scolding other people online for misbehaving online. And then there was, of course, Josh Duggar. And then there are a million other examples. Queerty has a great post up about Austin Null where they run you through many other examples of people who've done the same thing. Publicly moralizing scolds, privately sexting, cheating, seeing pro-doms on Ashley Madison, sexually harassing staff members, and on and on and on. And reading about this, it just reminded me of a friend from college. We stayed friends for about a decade. We're still in contact every once in a while. And she would confide in me about this terrible stress that she experienced because there was this tension between the sex she wanted to have, the things that turned her on, the things she wanted to do, and the sex that Jesus wanted her to have. The things that Jesus told her were supposed to turn her on. The things that Jesus wanted her to do. None of which are enumerated anywhere in the Gospels. But whatevs. She had been convinced that there were things Jesus wanted her to do with her mouth and her vagina and her asshole. And things Jesus didn't want her to do with her mouth, her vagina, and her asshole. And she was constantly on the rack about it. Because she would have to, in her marriage, she married young, she would have to go to these mental images of all the things she had never allowed herself to do. To get into it. So to have sex with her husband successfully, to enjoy it, she had to imagine all the sex she would never have because Jesus and her husband. And it has been my experience over the course of my adult life, as it has been, I believe, Austin Null's experience and Sam Raider's experience, that you can only be at war with your true sexual desires and your true sexual orientation and your true sexual interests for so long. And ultimately, in the end, sex wins. Sex always wins in the battle with ancient desert fairy tale Mad Libs abstractions. Sex is going to win. So you have to work with it. You have to negotiate with sex, not from a position of power, not from a position of higher power, but from a position of lesser power. You're going to have to come to grips in terms with what you want to do and hopefully find a way to fold that into your life honestly and ethically because if you attempt to wall that shit off, what you really want to do, it's going to seep into your life unethically and sometimes catastrophically, embarrassingly, in a potentially Christian vlogger money imperiling way. 
Sex is older than we are, more powerful than we are. Sex made us and it will unmake us as Sam and Austin and my friend from college who wound up getting divorced because she couldn't live without the things she wanted to have in her life any longer all learned in the end. Benefit from their experience. Benefit from their example. Unfold these things into your life now and honestly instead of having them disrupt your life because you've been dishonest with yourself, with your God, and with your spouse. And now your calls. Hey, Dan. Um, late 20-something in the Philly area. I've got a predicament that I guess most people would be describing as a good one. Uh, I was starting to date two girls and kind of going back and forth in the dates. was getting good with both. Uh, I had sex with both. It was getting more romantic. And eventually at a point, obviously, where I had to not be dating one anymore. So I decided ultimately which one I was having more fun with. And I and I broke up with, with the other one. Um, I wasn't going to keep on telling her that I was only dating her. That was not at all what I would want to do. But she didn't take it well. And she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand uh, why I left her. Um, and she wants an answer. Um, and I would love to be honest with her. I think she's a really nice, really cool girl. And I don't like just shutting her off like that. But um, I don't want to tell her it's because there was another girl who I just liked marginally better. What do you think? Is, uh, do I need to, I don't know, tell her the truth? Or do, or do I need to just cut her off and let her heal over time? Most people would describe this as a good one, a good problem, good problem to have. Yeah, most people, with the exception of the woman that you dumped because the other woman you were dating at the same time was fractionally hotter, funnier, better in bed, whatever it was, that tipped the scales in her favor. And does the woman that you dumped have a right to be told the real reason? No, no, you don't owe her an explanation. And I actually think that giving her an explanation that might shred her self-esteem is to not do her a favor on the way out of the relationship, is to actually compound the harm of the heartbreak by sandpapering her insecurities, shredding her self-esteem, making her feel even worse than she already feels. Because not only are you rejecting her, but your rejection is coming bundled with there's somebody better out there. Which is implicit when you dump someone. When you dump someone, whether or not there's someone waiting in the wings or waiting on your dick in this case or not, implicitly what you're saying is there's someone better out there for me or I would rather be alone than be with you. And in either case, that sucks to hear that from someone that you are interested in. What she's doing here is she's sort of refusing to allow you to break up with her. That's typically what people are after when they say – you can't do this without giving me an explanation. They want to maintain the emotional entanglement even if the relationship's ending, even if the sex is ending. And you just have to, I think, in this case, cut her off. Say, look, it wasn't working for me. It's over. I'm really sorry. You're a wonderful, sweet person. I wish you well. And then put her out of her misery by not entertaining the question, not taking the question. And then maybe she'll stop asking the question. And what she needs to do and listeners out there who may be in her circumstance need to do, men and women and everything in between, what you need to do when this happens to you is create your own fucking closure. 
Closure is not, like I've said before, a gold watch that someone gives you on the way out of a relationship. Closure is something that you do for your fucking self. You say to yourself, it ended for reasons. I can infer what some of those reasons might be, but I can just accept there are reasons. And if I'm in relationships that keep ending at this very stage, then maybe there's some examination of myself I need to do, some scrutiny I need to subject myself to. Maybe I need to ask my friends what I'm doing wrong, if they've witnessed me in these relationships that keep failing. But if not, I just need to accept that, yeah, he wanted or she wanted or non-binary wanted to be with somebody else, not me. And that sucks and that's painful, but you know what? You've done it to people too. This horrible, unfair, terrible, rotten thing that this woman's ex has done to her, that your ex did to you, you did at some point to exes of your own. You ended a relationship for reasons that maybe you didn't unpack for them. And you didn't unpack for them because you didn't want to be cruel. You didn't want to salt the wound right after inflicting it. Holding back, holding back the real reason sometimes is absolutely the kind, courteous, loving thing to do on the way out of the relationship. And I think that applies for sure in spades in this case. Hi, Dan. I'm calling because I have a question about disclosure. Over the holidays, I was over at my cousin's house who, uh, as people tend to do during the holidays, had a bit too much to drink and started disclosing uh, a few things that were concerning to me, one of which is that she's carrying on uh, multiple affairs. Uh, she's married and has two uh, grade school age children. Uh, my view is that that's sort of none of my business. I would certainly never um, disclose to the husband since I don't know about their relationship. I have to imagine that he has no uh, idea about it and would not be okay with it. The other question I have is more concerning and is that she also disclosed that she regularly does cocaine. Again, something that is none of my business except for the fact that given she has two young children who she drives all the time, she got into traffic accidents uh, last month, do I have an obligation to tell her husband out of concern for both their children and out of concern for him and the possible liability he has if she uh, were to hurt someone or uh, their children in a car accident? I'm trying to wrap my head around why this woman a cousin would confess to you all of these myriad sins, not just the cheating, but the cocaine the drinking, the car accidents, the peril in which she is placing her own children and others on the road. And the only conclusion I can come to is that she wants you to out her. She is some part of her subconscious brain is begging you to do something about this, that she tagged someone at this party to tell them in what desperate straits she is in hopes that that person, and I don't think this was a conscious decision on her part necessarily, but in hopes that that person would do something with that information. I think you should do something with that information. Some of it, part of it. I don't think you go to the husband and say, hey, you, my cousin, your wife, people I have this very tenuous, familiar relationship with. She's fucking other people, multiple affairs. Thought you should know. Also drinking and cocaine and car accidents. No, you leave out the affairs because that is indeed their marriage. People cheat for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes people have cause to cheat and you don't know what's going on in their relationship. Maybe it's been sexless since the kids came because the husband isn't interested in her anymore sexually and she has sought out other partners in desperation after many, many good faith attempts to revive sex within her marriage. And it's a whole separate issue that has nothing to do with the rest of the self-destructive behavior. So just stay the fuck away from it because you don't know and can't know. 
But this shit, the drinking, the cocaine, the car accidents, you don't hear a lot about coke driving. You hear a lot about drunken driving. So I'm not sure that cocaine ain't good for you. Please don't do cocaine. I'm not sure that cocaine use is the problem when it comes to driving and this threat potentially to the lives of her children and other people on the road. The drinking though, absolutely. If She's drinking and driving and you need to say something to her husband and other family members you may have who are closer to her. If you are friends with your cousin's mom, presumably an aunt or an uncle of yours, to go to them and say, this is what I saw and this is what I was told and I'm worried for your grandchildren. I'm worried for my cousin and her children and other people on the road. Something has to be done. You as a cousin are not in a position to do that thing, whatever it is. Your relationship with your cousin is too distant, too tenuous. But her parents, her parent, her husband, they are in a position to stage an intervention and you could be the catalyst for that just by opening your mouth and you should open your mouth. But only about the drinking, the drug use, the driving, not about the fucking around. Hey, Dan, 39-year-old straightish female in the Boston area. Just have an etiquette question for you. So Saturday night was out with friends at the local bar and ended up going home with a couple, a male and female couple. It was enjoyable. It was great. In the morning, we parted ways very amicably. Just wondering what the etiquette now is of reaching out to them to either hang out again or have sex again. I just don't know how to phrase that. Do I just text them and ask if they want to hang out or do I wait for them to approach me as I was the very special guest star? Just wondering what your advice is. There's no chapter in Emily Post on three ways, but there should be. And if they ever want to farm that out to someone, I volunteer to write it. Etiquette dictates that the couple that invited in a third reaches out to the third after the three-way to say thank you and to reassure the third that there's no drama, no bullshit, no anything happening in the wake of that three-way except lots of warm and good and fuzzy feelings because the couple, they're the ones with something at stake emotionally. They're the ones who if somebody did something they weren't supposed to do or violated a boundary or accidentally, unknowingly and without any malice or intent, stepped on something and hurt a feeling and touched a nerve. The third who went away from that couple may think, God, I hope that there's no awfulness in the wake of my depantsing myself in the middle of their bedroom and jumping into the middle of their sex life. Thirds often worry about the impact that they had on the couple. And it's really on the couple to reach out to the third and say, thanks. Even if there was drama, even if after the third left, you guys had to have an argument about what happened and what went down, you should still reach out to the third and say, hey, thanks, that was great, blah, blah. You don't have to say, we'd love to do it again if you don't want to do it again, but you should say something to set the third's mind at ease about accepting your invitation into your bedroom. So that even if there was drama, even if there was bullshit, the third should be told, needs to know that you don't blame them, that they didn't do anything wrong. If you guys didn't hash it all out in advance, if somebody did something that was on the no list for that first three-way or that third three-way, that's not on the third. That's not the third's responsibility. The third is not to blame. So I think etiquette dictates that the couple reach out to the third. You haven't heard from the couple. Maybe they aren't aware of the etiquette in this situation. So I think it is permissible for you to reach out to the couple. If only to say, I really enjoyed that. That was fun. Thanks. And then that opens the lines of communication. They can then say, we enjoyed it too. And then you can text back. 
I'd be up for doing that again if you guys would ever want to invite me in again. No hard feelings always include this. No hard feelings if you don't want to include me again. Some couples that allow for outside sex or occasional three-ways, they have a rule about no repeats because they don't want any emotional attachments forming. They don't want their partner, their husband, their wife to really get into that other person or to, to catch a groove. They want the sex with that other person to be always first time or always a little awkward, always a little off in comparison to the sex they have with their regular partner. And so that's a legitimate limitation that some couples impose on their thirds or their outsiders, one-offs. For all you know, you could be a one-off and no hard feelings if you're a one-off. So write to them and say, had a great time. Would love to do that again. No hard feelings if you don't want to do that again. And mean it when you say that part. No hard feelings if you don't want to do it again. And this last bit is important. When you see them out in public again, in a bar, wherever it was you were in the first place where they hit on you and invited you back to their place, when you see them in that place again or any other place, march right up to them and say hello. And just be breezy and easy. Don't be overly intimate. Just hello, friendly, friendly, and then turn and go. And let them approach you again if they want to continue the conversation. Hi, Dan. I am a 32-year-old straight female, and I've been dating this guy for a few months. We recently just had sex for the first time, and he has the biggest dick I've ever encountered. Um, I'm a small girl. I'm 5'2". Thankfully, it fit. We were kind of worried it wasn't, but it was the most intense and amazing sex I've ever had, and I can hardly wait to nail him again. I really want to blow this guy. I'm just worried that my mouth might be a little small, and I was hoping you might have some tips or suggestions to work around this. Here's a very practical tip for you, and it's not mine. It's not unique. It's not anything I invented. It's been in mass circulation for a very long time. Wrap a fist around it. And if it's really that enormous that wrapping one fist around it doesn't shorten it enough for it to fit in your mouth, wrap two fists around it. And if it's really that enormous, get a friend to wrap a third fist around it. You just keep shortening it like choking up on a bat, right? And then you slobber all over the head during the blowjob while moving your hands up and down with your mouth. And if there's enough slobber and spit, and there should be, that sort of creates – a mouth annex. Your hands become this additional mouth appendage like, I don't know, alien. I've just been informed by the text of the atmosphere that that image is horrible and plays into male fears of women biting their dicks off. So I retract the alien comparison. But you can extend your mouth. You can, you can grow it by using your hands. And then just all you have to do, all your mouth is responsible for, all you have to fit into your mouth is the head. And I promise you, as a cock haver and a cock sucker, that most guys can't tell the difference between the dick all the way in the mouth, when you're in the heat of the moment, when you're really going at it, when there's plenty of saliva all over the place, and the dick in the hands and just the head and maybe an inch or two in the mouth. Can't tell the difference. Hey, Dan. 26-year-old straight male, Texas. Weird question. It's actually not relationship-related. It's more related to Truveda, of all things. I work a job that's public service, and as a result of it, there's a risk for me um, contracting HIV and hep C. I know there's treatment for hep C out right now, and that is helpful. But what I'm wondering is, because of the risk of my job possibly exposing me to HIV, involuntarily, I might add, (laughs) 
uh, would you think that Truvada could help prevent contracting it? I am not a doctor. This is something you should speak about with your managers and your own personal physician. The standard advice around Truvada, Truveda, I can never remember which is the correct pronunciation. The standard advice is that sexually active, gained by men, should all be on Truvada or Truveda because we are routinely and perhaps regularly, those of us who have multiple sex partners, risk multiple exposures over the course of a year to HIV or winding up in bed multiple times with guys who may have HIV. And even if using condoms, a condom can break. So Truveda is a really good line of defense if you are sexually active and you have multiple partners and potentially a condom may break or you may not want to use a condom. It's a good idea for gay and bi men to be untreated because there's a high incidence of HIV infection in gay and bi male communities. So gay and bi men are going to encounter guys and be exposed potentially to HIV regularly. You in your job and you don't say what your job is where you face these risks. If you're a paramedic, if you risk a needle stick, if you are a prison guard and there may be incidents where you're exposed to blood, I don't think that a doctor, but again, check with your doctor, would recommend you going on Truveda daily on the off chance that once or twice over the course of your career, you may face a moment where you're exposed potentially to HIV. For you, instead of Truveda, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis, there is post-exposure prophylaxis or PEP which if you are stuck with a needle, you go to the doctor and you go on a course for I think it's three to four weeks of strong HIV meds, the cocktail, and it is very effective in preventing the infection if indeed you were exposed to HIV from taking, from becoming a successful infection. And I think that would be the better course of action for someone in your shoes than daily Truvada use. But again, check with your doctor. Hey, Dan. I am a professor. And I am thinking about maybe starting a sexual relationship with a former student. He has graduated the university where uh, I teach and where he went, so, and he will never be a grad student. So the ethics of the situation are not gray uh, to some people. I have asked a whole bunch of my female professor friends whether this would uh, you know, be a problem in their mind or whatever. They all happen. They all know who he is, and they know that he's hot. So part of their answer might be a little biased in favor of me just banging a hot dude. But interestingly, two of my male friend professors, one at the same university and one at a different one, have both said that even though he's graduated and the ethics are not, uh, you know, really a problem, that they don't want me to get a reputation as a professor who fucked her student. And I pointed out, I won't be fucking my student. I will be fucking my former student who graduated. And they both say that while that is technically true, that is not what will happen. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we're 15 years apart in age. So this likely, you know, I, I'm not going into this with any kind of understanding that it will go anywhere. Uh, maybe just kind of get us both through the winter. Um, he's really good looking. Apparently, he had a thing for me when I did have him in class. I, I mean, I'm not blind. I know that he's a good-looking dude. We make each other laugh when we text and stuff. Um, and, you know, so it might just be a, a meaningful sort of short, casual thing. And I know all about the campsite rule for me, but given my profession, what do you think? It irritates me to know that if the genders were reversed and he were a female student and I were a male professor, that some sort of accolade would also be 
levied on me in a way that it won't be this way? I don't know. So I just listened to your question and I have to say you are going to get a reputation about fucking former students if you ask every professional colleague on earth for their input and permission before you fuck this hot ex student. Just fuck the guy and shut the fuck up about fucking the guy. Okay. Well, um, I'm only, so I have like really close girlfriends. There's four players, a total of five of us. And we're like the squad, as you say, or whatever. And then I've asked a couple others who are academics, but not here. Mm -hmm. So like at different universities or whatever. Mm hmm. It's interesting that all the women think I should do it, and the two dudes I've asked think that I shouldn't. So take that for what it's worth. Maybe, so what do you think? Well, I think, you know, uh, I think I read Laura Kipnis's essay, uh, Sexual Paranoia Strikes the Academy, and I think you should read it, or Academia, and you should read that. I think it's fascinating. But I'm also looking at the uh, consensual relationships between students and faculty section of the website at Northwestern edu where Laura Kipnis is a professor and kicked off this crazy shitstorm when she wrote something where she defended some relationships between professors and students. And it says, you know, at Northwestern, which is really, I think, in the thrall of the sexual paranoia gripping a lot of uh, academia or the academy, their own policy, the best time to date your professor, it reads, if at all, is after you have graduated from school. Okay. Has this guy graduated? Yes. Fuck him. Um, fuck he, him. Stop asking people for permission to just fuck him already. Okay. And send us pictures if he's really that hot. I want to see. That's not something I just take people's word for. No, he's he's pretty damn hot. Picks or hot yeah. guys didn't happen. The reason the guys might be a little more, more paranoid, I think the, the male professors you've talked to, is I think male professors on college campuses may be under a little bit more scrutiny and have more cause yeah. to be cautious and paranoid and they're you know the, the heightened scrutiny on them perhaps is tied to what they what so many male professors got away with on college campuses for so long right so the stakes may be higher even in a consensual relationship even with a former student for a male professor the reputational stakes than it would be for you yeah that's true um i know of so I work at sort of a mid-sized university. Um, so, you know, I certainly don't know a ton of people outside of my department. And then, you know, even outside of the college, I'm in the liberal arts college. I'm sure that's surprising. Um, and so I, I know one older ma male professor who married and has children with a former student. So their age difference is even greater than me and this student. Um, and then I have a female friend who is currently living with a her boyfriend who is a current student, non-traditionally aged, so he's not like 20, um, but not in her department. Um, and she kind of keeps it on the hush-hush, um, but, um, you know, this is not going to turn into anything serious, if it even happens at all, who knows. Um, it's, but, it's funny that you would uh, bring up that professor married to a former student because Laura Kipnis's really brilliant essay, and if people didn't read it during the big scandal last uh, winter uh, about it begins, and I'm going to quote, you have to feel a little sorry these days for professors married to their former students. They used to be respectable citizens, leaders in their fields, department chairs, maybe even a dean or two, and now they're abusers of power. Right. And and there is a woman in my department uh, who married a former student who took her class but was not in the department, and I don't really know anything else about that relationship, but they are married. And then my department chair, to the best of my knowledge, is married to a former professor of hers. People in colleges are adults. 
so long as there isn't uh, so long as someone isn't in a position of authority over someone else and uh, right, the, the right, right, right. Less yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in the ethical clear for isn't sure. Being coerced, you're you're in the, totally in the ethical clear. I think the only problem this could create for you is the one you're creating for yourself by asking everyone about it, including me, asking everyone for permission to fuck the dude. I am giving you permission to fuck the dude, fuck the dude, and send me a picture of the dude at my email address because I want All to right. see him. And I All approve. Right. Well, I will. Uh... And Laura, Ki- okay. and Laura I, you know, I will make sure I tell him <laughs> I have the Dan Savage seal of approval. You do. Enjoy. There's nothing wrong with two consenting adults in a non-coercive, completely consensual frame fucking the shit out of each other. However they met. Awesome. Wherever they met. It's cool. Cool. Oh, my God. I can't believe you actually called me. This is the best <laughs> day of my life. Have fun. We're going to take a quick break from your calls because there's something I just have to share with you. Here at The Stranger, my base paper, my home, where the Savage Love cast originates and Savage Love originates, we do some other podcasts. We have a really great podcast called Blabbermouth, hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Eli Sanders, mostly about local issues but also about national issues. You should check it out. But this I have to I have to order you to check out. You should check out Blabbermouth. If you're a Seattleite or a former Seattleite, you'll love it. But this, wherever you are in the world, you are going to love this, and I have to share it. It's really inappropriate. It's really wrong, but it's really fucking funny. It's a new broadcast. It's a new sort of sex advice call-in show hosted by Democratic presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders. Here's a taste. Uh, Hello and welcome to Dirty Bernie, the phone sex hotline for those who want to get dirty with Bernie. As you know, my campaign isn't taking money from big banks, but I'm happy to take money for big wanks. Looks like we got a caller already. So let's go to the phones. Caller, what is your name? My name's Vanessa from Portland, and I was just drinking matcha tea when I saw a video of you on YouTube, and I got so turned on, I I just want to hear that special Dirty Bernie talk. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know what you're talking about, Vanessa. Uh, and I got it for you here. All right. Listen, I'm, uh, I'm sure you got a banana peel in the compost. Okay. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to take that banana peel that spent days in the compost. So it's got that yeah. real banana stink. Yeah. Then I'm going to rub it stink side down into your face <sighs> while you writhe with pleasure. Okay. Oh, yeah. Dirty Bernie. Oh, it's not over. It's not over. I want to take that matcha powder from your tea and then mix it with a couple tablespoons of dishwater so that it forms a disgusting paste. Yeah. Then I'm going to smear the paste in between my legs and have a pack of filthy hyenas lick it off. And all of this, all of this is going to be happening while most, if not all, of America's wealth is going to the top 1%. Oh, yeah. These are the issues the American people want to discuss. Healthcare, the disappearing middle class. Oh, yeah. And listen, this is the piece de resistance. I'm going to take a sleeve of Ritz crackers, your guilty pleasure, from the Eat them all. And then dump the crumbs all over your body until enough is enough and you come. There you go. That's right. Thanks, Dirty Birdie. Anytime. The pleasure was mine. 
There's more Dirty Bernie at thestranger.com slash Dirty Bernie. And yes, it's wrong. And yes, it's not funny. And yes, we wouldn't do that to Hillary Clinton. But it's kind of fucking hilarious. Check it out. Stranger.com slash Dirty Bernie. Now back to your calls. Hi. I'm a college student, a junior from a Midwestern town. Uh, I'm a girl. Um, I go to a pretty big university. And I'm usually kind of strapped for cash. It's been really hard this semester. I'm lower income. And I just, I hate asking my parents for money. But anyways, yeah, so I have a job and stuff, but I came across this Craigslist ad where this guy uh, just wants to, like, talk to me about schoolwork while I'm naked or semi-naked, and then he'll just give me money. And I kind of have been talking to him. I just don't really know how to feel about it because I just I mean I don't mind being naked I don't really care but I just don't feel comfortable talking to my friends about this whether I should do it or not but he seems okay enough and it's like well I don't know I just I really don't know what to do I bet if you went to your mom and dad and said you're contemplating doing low level low grade low stakes sex work for money because you're so strapped for cash they might come through with some more money. But if you don't have the kind of relationship with your parents where you could say that and you really do need the money, I could see a way to do this. I could see you doing this. Not everybody who wants to hire someone to clean their apartment in a jockstrap or do some gardening naked or whatever who wants that erotic thrill is a dangerous sex pervert serial killer rapist waiting to get you vulnerable and then take advantage. But some are. Right, So you need to control for those risks. So as you contemplate doing this for this guy who you're already talking to and it sounds like you already have a good feeling about, sociopaths, however, can create those good feelings in people and then exploit and take advantage of them. Think about ways in which you could do this safely. If I were you, if I were in your shoes, I might be willing to do this for the extra money, but I wouldn't be comfortable doing it at his place. Because he could hide cameras all over his place. And if you don't want revenge porn floating around out there of you, if this relationship goes south or sour, or he turns out to be a colossal asshole, doing it at his place is a bad idea because you can't control for every little nook or cranny where he could tuck an iPhone or a camera. There's doing it at your place, but then he would know where you live. And is that safe? You want this guy to know where you live? Probably not. Can you find a neutral space to go do it? Well, you could get, you know, a cheap hotel room. He could pay for a cheap hotel room. But then you have to go with him to check in to make sure he hasn't already checked in. And if he's in cahoots with the – and I don't want to make you too paranoid, but he could go early and be in cahoots with the guy at the front desk and have had access to the room earlier and then pretend to check into it again. So if you do go with him to check into some hotel, reject the first room they give to you. You do that. Say, I don't like this room. We're going to move to another room and go ask for a different room, which you can totally do. You also should ask him for and make sure that you have his real name, his real phone number, and perhaps a photograph of his that you take of his driver's license, of his ID, so that if something happens to you, someone will find out that he may have been involved and you need a friend that you can confide in about what you're doing and where you're going and who you're with and share that information with for your own personal safety. And he needs to know that that is what you are doing. 
And if he's comfortable with you doing all that, if you ask him for his driver license, if you ask him for a phone number, if you ask him for a photo, if you tell him you're sharing this information with a trusted friend who would never out him, and he is totally fine with that, then that's a good sign. That's a good sign that he is safe and trustworthy and respectable and has no ulterior motives or sinister plans to harm you or abduct you or once you're vulnerable and naked in front of him talking about your schoolwork, upgrade or attempt to upgrade with or without your consent from conversation to penetration. So push him on these issues. Like, hey, you seem good. You seem nice. I would be comfortable doing this with you if you share with me your ID, your phone number, your the place where you work, your real name, all of these things so that I feel comfortable and I feel really safe. Also telling a friend. And that's a good way to assess. If he balks at that and he says, well, no, 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 then there is something going on and you don't want that money because that money comes with something attached to it, with some plot or plan that you're not aware of attached to it. And if he has a problem, just a trust problem, you say, you're asking me to trust you naked in a room, the two of us together alone, vulnerable, and yet you won't trust me with your real phone number, your real name, and your driver's license, a photograph of it, that's bullshit. So really push those issues. And then there are plenty of people out there who are good and nice and kind, who have a weird kink, a weird fetish for the naked houseboy, the naked gardener, the naked college student chatting about whatever. And if you guys can come to terms that would fulfill his fantasy and Fill up your checking account. That could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Hey, Dan, in the tech-savvy at-risk youth, uh, 34-year-old gay guy calling from Colorado. Dan, I love your show, and I wanted to get your advice to see if you think that I overreacted or am acting irrationally. I've been dating someone for about nine months now. Really wonderful guy. Um, has all of the qualities that I would like to uh, have in a partner. Um, there is one thing though, he's never really been able to be faithful. Uh, we tried uh, talking about having an open relationship or I tried to, you know, several times throughout uh, the course of our relationship and he didn't like labels. He didn't like commitment. He didn't really want to talk for all intents and purposes though. We're boyfriends, trips, vacations, weddings, well, things came to a head uh, just right before Christmas. We had a planned a trip to Mexico shortly after the holiday, which I was really looking forward to. Uh, the week prior, it spent Christmas, uh, early Christmas, making dinner for he and his family. It was a very wonderful time. I met his mother. Although I always thought that, you know, other things might be going on extracurricularly. So I come to find out that Christmas Eve, uh, he tried to have his ex over to sleep with him before I was due over at his house uh, for dinner and to spend the weekend. Also came to find out that he was with someone else the day before and then went over to ex ex's house the day before that. All of this was very hurtful to me as I thought that we had made a lot of progress. I know that we had never discussed having an open relationship or had a discussion whatsoever because he didn't want to, but I was still very hurt by his actions. Um, I decided not to go on the trip and I told him that I was not going on the trip. He still showed up at my house the next morning, knocking, 
sending several desperate texts from the airport saying that he was sorry, that he wanted to change, that it didn't need to be anyone but just he and I. I told him that I was trying to be accommodating as I didn't think that I would ever be okay with an open relationship. But the fact that he didn't want to talk about it just left me no choice to end the relationship. I know that you say that, you know, cheaters rarely change their habits, but do you think that I was wrong in, in walking away after all of this time? Uh, he said that we were boyfriends and that he just wanted it to be he and I, but I don't know that I could believe him. It makes me very, very sad uh, as I really loved him and I have a hard time walking away because in the past I've tried to end things and then just see myself going back to him a couple weeks later after missing him. Am I being crazy, Dan? I'm curious to know why you would date this guy. If you know that you would never be okay with an open relationship, if monogamy is something you require in a committed relationship, why you wasted time on a guy who basically told you that he's never been faithful. And in these conversations where he refused to make any sort of commitment or define your relationship at all, was really telegraphing to you that he didn't want to put a label on it because he didn't want to not be able to do whatever the fuck he wanted to do, which included fucking other people. I think that because I was so taken by him and the personality and what he had to offer and everything about him that I considered an open relationship. And, you know, it was something that your show had kind of changed my viewpoint on, you know, with parameters and discussion, you can have a healthy relationship. And, you know, I kind of took the idea of, you know, maybe this sex is just sex where I'm getting the dates and the trips and the weddings and the sleepovers <laughs> and all of that, you uh-huh. know, so. But you can have a committed, you can have a serious, committed, loving relationship without necessarily having to be a monogamous relationship. There are plenty of examples out there that all of us have witnessed personally of completely successfully nailed it, sterling silver monogamous behavior, but lousy relationship. And examples of wonderful relationships, but not monogamous. So monogamy often is a stand-in for love, commitment, and success in a relationship. And that's just bullshit. You can have a successful relationship without it being monogamous, just as you can have a monogamous relationship without it being a success. I mean, that all makes sense and, and sounds true to me. But, but what you said that you would never be okay with an open relationship. Maybe that, I don't know. I was super nervous when I called. Um, <laughs> okay, I thought well, it's... <laughs> Especially towards the end, I thought the uh, open relationship would be something that I would be okay with, you know, with... That that would be a price of admission you were willing to pay to be with him, that you would reassess yeah, how absolutely. you felt about monogamy in a relationship, because he's so spectacular in all these other ways. But the deceitfulness, the underhandedness of the way he conducted himself sexually while you two were together and right before Christmas, that turned you off. Because it wasn't above board, yeah. it wasn't honest, it wasn't negotiated, it wasn't discussed... It was just he was doing whatever the fuck he wanted to without Correct. your consent and your buy-off. Right. And now you've dumped him. Correct. And you want to know from me if I think that was the right thing to do, to dump him? Yeah, or if that, you know, not going on a four-day Mexican getaway with him was a good idea because, you know, all of this came to light the day before I was supposed to take a trip with him and I just didn't think that going away for four days was going to make anything better even though he said that we could talk about things even though he said that he just wanted to be he and I and I just thought that it would continue to eat at me just knowing that 
he's trying to have an ex over a couple of hours before I'm due for dinner. And there's a roast in the crock pot and the table set and all of that. It was mm-hmm. just, it was too much. And any issue that we had ever had had always revolved around him with others. So otherwise things were really good. How old so, is he? Can I ask how old he is? 36. All right. Well, clearly at 36, I think his patterns are probably set. That he, he is who he is and he's probably not going to change, which is not to say once a cheater, always a cheater because the you know there is there, there are some studies out there that would seem to buttress that. But what actually they show is once a cheater, pretty you know slightly likelier to cheat in the future than someone who never cheated. But that doesn't mean once a cheater, invariably, inevitably a cheater. That somebody can have been kind of a dog and cheated on a lot of people and make a monogamous commitment and honor it. That's not impossible. But is that what would make this guy happy or is that just what he's telling you right now to get you back and then he will revert to form and do whatever the fuck he wants? And I think that's the likelier outcome. And the question, yeah, I think you're right too. And-, and there are some people out there who are turned on, like part of their turn on with fucking around with others is the deceit, is what they can get away with. Are the risks that they run? Are is the sort of delicious perversity of the betrayal? Like my new boyfriend's on his way over, and I have my ex boyfriend here the hour before when the roast is in the crock pot and the table is set. That that isn't incidental to the infidelity or to to that that moment of cheating or that lapse of judgment. That's central to it. That's the whole point. That's the whole turnout. And I've met guys like that in the past. I've known guys like that, and I've known guys like that who've had relationships that they've managed to make successful. By, you know, once they were able to articulate that part for me of the turn on in all this is the deceit, is having a secret, is getting away with something, is you not knowing. And I, you know, I know, uh, uh, I have really good friends who are a gay male couple have been together a long time and they, and it's not me and Terry. I always have to say that because people always say, you're talking about you and Terry and I'm not. They've been together a long time. And once they were able to unpack this and really identify what was so sexy about these assignations for the partner who was cheating – they came up with an agreement that allowed for you to have your secrets, you to do your thing, but every once in a while we're going to sit down and have a couple of drinks you're going to tell me everything that, that's been going on so that it isn't completely secret, that you have your secrets for a while, but there is still disclosure, but it's after the fact so as not to ruin the I have a dirty, naughty secret turn on for you. And I also just think that – you know, happy gone away, come back. Obviously, he sort of continued doing the same thing. Um, and we never have wanted to have that conversation of let's talk about parameters and things like that. You know, he just wanted to continue to do what he wanted to do. Right, because he doesn't want any limitations placed on his own actions. And he knew right. because you guys had not yet had a conversation about limitations or parameters that there were sort of default limitations on you. Because you had you wanted to have a conversation about how you two could have sex with other people at some point. That meant you weren't having sex with other people because you were the kind of person who would want to have that conversation first to set the parameters. And so what he had was a boyfriend who was monogamous where, when he didn't have to be monogamous. Like the, the, way, the way in which you approached the discussion implicitly said, I'm not fucking around with anybody else. And the way he approached it was, I can fuck around with everybody else until we set these limitations and parameters. So why would he want to have that conversation and set those limitations and parameters? Because he had limitlessness for himself and limitations for you. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, you know, I've had 
friends tell me the same things and, and people that knew him as well. You know, this is behavior that's consistent of his. So okay, so then, want to continue doing this. Right. Then the question then for you, on you, the question for you, and this is what I called to ask you is, could you be with him? Is he worth it? Is he, could you be with a guy who you were committed to and you really, you could have a conversation about limitations and parameters, but you know, he's going to violate them. So why have them? But you guys have the weddings and the snuggling and the date nights and the family uh, connections and all the rest of that and sex between you guys. But you have no idea what he's doing when he's out of sight. Is that something that you could tolerate in a committed relationship? You know, right now I say yes because I'm still heartbroken. Feeling you raw about the whole, you know, yeah, exactly. But I think that as, as time passes and my head continues to clear, you know, the answer will become more and more clear. I wonder if it's a fetish or kink that needs its own name, that there are people who are turned on by the violation, not by the sex, like not by getting to have sex with another person, but that it happens in the context of violating the person that they're with, violating the person that they're in a relationship with to have sex with somebody else. So it to be permissive, it, it to be permitted, it to be allowed, it to happen in a, in a framework where it's okay ruins it for them. The, 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 what they want is to not define it. What they want is to, 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 to have these conflicts and, and take these risks and blow up their relationships because that's what turns them on. One final question before I let you go. How was the sex with him? Great. And, and that's what a friend asked me. You know, he said, is, is it that good? And I think then the, the reason I really enjoyed it was because he was the first person in all of my 34 years that had been talking dirty to me. And I felt like I could be myself. And it's like, where the jock strap? I mean, I got my ass waxed for him because I thought, oh, you know, I know that he likes them younger too. So I can maybe please him in this way. So, yeah. Sex was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do with that? So you, did you have other relationships in the past with guys where monogamy came easily to them and they were willing and excited to make a monogamous commitment, but the sex was lousy? Exactly. That's what my two you know, major relationships had been prior to this. So the, the, the sex was lousy, <laughs> but the commitment was... Or non-existent. Or, oh my God, or non-existent. <laughs> Sometimes you got to take the bad with the good you know sometimes someone who's really good in bed you know they're kind of a sexual athlete they have a a, a large and voracious sexual appetite and it may be that they can't that that the price of admission to be with somebody who makes you feel that way and the sex is so good is that they aren't only going to have that great sex with you yeah it's a trade-off. Before the lines burn up, I'm not saying everybody in a monogamous relationship is lousy at sex. <laughs> right, <laughs> anybody right. capable of making a monogamous <laughs> commitment is a lousy lay. I'm not saying that. But it's been true to your experience no. that monogamy, you had successful monogamous relationships that were sexually unsuccessful, and here you had a sexually successful relationship that was monogamously a disaster. Yeah. I mean, I just maybe need to be with someone who would rather drive two minutes to my place because you live so close versus 25 minutes to get a 6.30 in the morning blowjob. Yep. Or be in a relationship where if it was all honest and above board, he let you know that he was going to get that blowjob and sent you a picture of it and it was a part of your thing too. That, that Those erotic moments with, with others were fuel for your fire, 
not in a cuckolding sense, but in a kind of we're both in this together, that we're both included on each other's sexual adventures in a way that is healthy and respectful and affirming as opposed to a way that's dishonest, deceitful and negating. One last bit of advice. You still obviously have some feelings for him potentially and everything's up for grabs right now. So you might as well just throw it on the table. Ask him to be perfectly blunt and honest with you, not working you, not trying to get you back into the relationship, not trying to tell you what you want to hear. Ask him to be really honest and tell you what his ideal relationship would look like. If he could have everything he wanted in a boyfriend and in his sex life, what would that look like? And if it looked like open, honest, kind of non-monogamous relationship that you could do, maybe you could do it. But what you might hear is what I want is secrets because I really think that's – he sounds like my friend who had the secret fetish and the 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 um, the, the, the kink that seemed to like center around uh, deceit and getting away with something and being naughty and having this secret other life that was all his. And if that's what he wants, that doesn't sound like you could get there with him, that you couldn't right. be with him and allow him to have this whole life that is walled off from you. I, I plan to contact him uh, at some point, even though I've been told by many people not to. I don't know if he'll listen or respond, um, just because even after I told him I wasn't going on a trip with him, he still showed up at my house the next morning, knocking on the door, calling me dozens of times. Sounds like it's over. Yeah. I don't know that he'll he'll talk to me after that, because he doesn't seem to be the type of person that, that begs or gets that desperate, or maybe he just knows that things that were on their course. I don't know. I don't know. Showing up at your house and banging on your door and sending you a desperate text messages. It sounds kind of desperate. Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe he just likes to have his cake and eat it too. You know, the, he can have all the fun that he wants and, and there I am being very loyal and making a bunch of really good food and just being, I don't know. I have a big heart and I think to a fault sometimes. So Find yeah. a different guy. Find a better guy. Find a guy who wants what you want, even if what he wants is openness, because it sounds like you could do that for the right guy. But, yeah. this, but this is the wrong guy. Listen to your friends. Yeah, for sure. Okay, good luck. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. This is a really fun part of the day. <laughs> You're welcome. Hi, Dan. I'm 39, female, straight. And for most of my life, I've been sexually active and I've had amazing orgasms through my clit, through my clit. Um, I have never really had much of a problem orgasming and up until about four months ago. And now my clitoris is just like another piece of my body. And when someone goes down on me, I feel nothing. And when I try to masturbate, it does nothing. I've gone to my gynecologist and she said that she thinks that it's just mental and that it's, you know, I'm stressed or it's something that, um, you know, if I relax, it'll come back and to stop stressing about it. And I, I met someone new. I really like him and I really like to have orgasms with him. And I am, it's hard because the more I want it, the more it's not happening. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any advice. I've been looking online 
to try to see if there's like gels or something I can use. And the gynecologist said, I'm not a good match for the new Viagra for women because I do have a sex drive and I'm getting wet and I'm getting super excited. It's just like my clitoris has no sensitivity. So I would love to have orgasms and I would love to come again. So if you have any advice, I would love it. Dr. Lori Brodo is a psychologist, a sex researcher at UBC in Vancouver, and a frequent guest star on the Savage Lovecast. Dr. Brodo, thank you for jumping on the phone today. My pleasure, Dan. So you do, you've done a lot of work in this, the area of vagina mysteries and vulva mysteries and clitoris mysteries, right? I sure have, yes. So what <laughs> is going on with this woman's suddenly numb clitoris, you think? Yeah. So, you know... First off, Dan, let me get on my soapbox for just a second and just state that this woman should never have been dismissed by her doctor in that way without a proper exam, without a thorough interview, finding out much more about the symptoms. It's totally appalling, but unfortunately, it is really common. Um, So my first piece of advice to her is to get a second opinion from someone who takes her concern seriously. Um, So now to the clitoris itself. So first of all, there's very little information that she's sharing in her call. Um, And one of the biggest things that we don't know is, is the numbness, the lack of sensation just in the clitoris, or what about the neighboring structures like the vulva, the vagina? And this is actually really important because um, complete numbness and sudden numbness in the clitoris is actually really uncommon. Um, It's not a a typical thing that, that would happen or that doctors would see. So it, it gets a bit more tricky to know exactly where, where the numbness and lack of sensation is, which is why, again, she really should be having a thorough exam by a provider that takes her seriously. And a provider, if I may jump in, who takes pleasure seriously? Because what I detect going on here is, oh, everything's working fine. So long, you know, if you can pee through it, if you can make a baby through it, if you can have intercourse with it still, whatever else is going on is not a problem that, that you having this problem obtaining pleasure well, we're not that that's right. not a medical issue. That's that, that's a bonus. That's something extra that your genitals might do for you once in a while, but there's certainly nothing that the medical community or doctor should be concerned with. Like this discomfort with sexual pleasure, particularly women's right. sexual pleasure, really yeah. results in a lot of bad doctoring. Yeah. And you know, you're you're assuming that the doctor has even asked those other questions about the other parts of, you know, sex and reproduction. And unfortunately, they're really bad at that too. So, but you're absolutely right. They're more likely to ask about function and reproduction and very unlikely to ask about pleasure and satisfaction. So, Mm -hmm. um, okay. So let's talk a bit about the clitoris. So we know, you know, the clitoris is, is one of the most innervated. In other words, it's, there's, there's thousands of nerve endings that land on the clitoris. It's one of the most innervated parts of the whole body. Uh, which also makes it one of the most sensitive parts of women's bodies and a large reason why women typically orgasm from clitoral stimulation and are much less likely to orgasm from vaginal stimulation. So, you know, I want to start with some possible benign explanations. And, you know, one of the first things I would, would ask this woman is, find out about how does she masturbate? Is she using a vibrator? How does she hold the vibrator? Um, Is she applying very intense and and quite prolonged stimulation directly on the clitoris? If that is the case, um, then I would really encourage her to back off of the the vibrator for, for some time, perhaps a couple of weeks, maybe even a month or so, and see if some of that sensation returns. 
Um, so, you know, that, that, that is, it is possible that this is happening and then that would result in lack of sensation just in the clitoris itself. So she doesn't, um, she doesn't bring that up, but if you, you're saying that somebody can, just like a guy can grip himself too hard, perhaps a woman can become over reliant on a vibrator or vibrate her clitoris into a state of numbness. And then if her reaction to that numbness or that inability to climax is to apply more vibration, or more intense That's vibration, right. it can actually make yeah. the problem perhaps worse. That's right. And so, you know, you can think of it as if those nerve endings are just, they're so overstimulated that they're, they're spent. They don't, they, they don't receive any sensation for a period of time. And so they, they kind of need to recoup that function. And, and thankfully, because nerves are part of, you know, uh, our nervous system and we're capable of something called neuroplasticity, which is the brain growing and ni- uh, fibers expanding, that function can be restored, again, if indeed that is the cause of the problem. Um, the second thing I'd want to find out that's, uh, that is, could be relatively benign is, is this woman an avid uh, cycler? So does she do, you know, long distance bike riding? Does she do get on her spin bike five, t- five times a week? Um, and uh, so spinning and excessive uh, bike riding puts a lot of pressure on some of the really important nerves that give rise to sensation in the clitoris. Also and the by penis. the way, this, this, and I was just going to say the same thing. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it can be really common in men and, and result in erectile problems. So I would want to find out about that. And, you know, for, for other listeners um, who are avid spinners or cyclists, you know, consider some protective uh, measures like using a, a seat with a cutout or making sure that you're not putting constant pressure on, those, uh, on that pedantal nerve. Because um, so you're basically, case, but people who bike are basically sitting on that nerve and can be applying their entire body weight to this one nerve bundle of nerves that runs into their genitals. That's right, and bouncing on that nerve repeatedly, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so that that would be the second thing I would think about. Now, on to some of the the a couple of medical explanations. And again, I just want to emphasize at the outset that she really does need to be evaluated by someone who's going to take her concerns seriously. Um, ideally, a neurologist, so a, you know, a brain doctor. Um, so, um, if this has been if if this has been more of a gradual change in sensation, then you might look at whether this is a sign of uh, a neurological condition. Sometimes this can happen in the early stages of multiple sclerosis or some other neurological problems. But if the, if it was one of those neurological problems, again, you wouldn't see numbness just in the clitoris. You would see this in the surrounding areas too. So what a neurologist would do is they would do a detailed pain map. Essentially, they take, you know, tiny little hair-like filaments and they touch the clitoris, the labia, different parts of the vulva, the vagina, and the person would report back whether they feel anything, you know, at what point they feel pain, and that would help the doctor to determine what nerves are involved and what, you know, disease or condition this might possibly be pointing to. So that kind of a pain map by a neurologist that's uh, ideally sex-friendly um, is, is going to be really key here. Um, but if this, that loss of sensation was really immediate, which it sounds from her, from her brief uh, call like it is, then it's a little bit more worrisome. You know, we worry about the nerves in the clitoris and whether there is something um, impinging or landing or blocking those nerves. So um, there can be a whole variety of different causes for why that might be. She might also benefit from some pelvic imaging, which would be able to show the doctor whether something, again, was blocking those really important nerves right in the clitoris. 
Okay, you're you're up there in Canada, which has socialized medicine and a hot prime minister, yeah. and we're down here. I'm down here in the United States. <laughs> All of this stuff yeah. that you're saying that she should, you know, pelvic imaging, yeah. get a neurologist. Yeah. Is that stuff yeah. that if uh, her uh, clitoris is a Canadian clitoris would be covered? Yeah, well, it, it would be covered here. And actually, it's not clear to me what state she's calling from. In your home, well, in your town of Seattle, there is um, one of the world's leaders in this area. Uh, sexual, she's a sexual medicine neurologist right at the UW. Um, and uh, she could absolutely get referred to, to, this, uh, to this expert in the field and have that kind of imaging done there. Uh, but it could be very first, expensive if it's not covered by her health care plan down here. That's that's right. It could be expensive. But your clit's but worth it. Your clit's worth it. And if this is something, you know, if this is a worrisome sign of something more neurological going on, that she can prevent further, you know, damage or, or prevent this from happening altogether, it is absolutely worth it. And it's not something that's going to be visible to the naked eye. So, you know, the family doctor or the gynecologist that takes a quick look at the vulva and it looks normal, that's not good enough. She needs something more detailed. Okay, quickly before we let you go, there's something I want the both of us to knock down briefly because it needs to be knocked down. And we've knocked it down on the show before, but it pops back up. She says that her doctor told her that she is not a good match for the new Viagra for women. No women are a good match for the new Viagra for women because it is bullshit. Do you agree? Right. I totally agree. And I, oh, I could go on and on and on. First of all, it's not Viagra. It's a brain drug. Um, it's, an, it's a failed antidepressant. So she absolutely is not a candidate for this. And in fact, very, very few women are. Um, but I, I will say one thing that, um, you know, it, it could also be that her lack of sensation is related to problems with blood flow. And if it is related to problems with blood flow, she could try Viagra, not this new Viagra-like phlebanserin, which is not Viagra at all, but the, the actual Viagra that uh, guys take for erection problems. And if the response comes back after a few times taking it, that could be diagnostic. It could tell her that actually this wasn't a problem in the nerves. This was a problem with blood supply. And then there would be a totally different uh, course of treatment if that was the case. But your professional medical opinion is that no women should be taking this bullshit Viagra for women, that it doesn't no, do what they sold it no. as. It's not no. effective. It no. has serious side effects that we don't understand, but it also doesn't, it doesn't do it. And she hints at like what it doesn't do. She says, you know, you're supposed to take this Viagra for women to get horny, and I'm yeah. horny. I just can't, and that's actually what Viagra, actual Viagra, treats in men. Men are horny, but they can't get a hard on Viagra. Helps, and then they can have that's sex. Right. But this drug, this flabanserin, is supposed to take women with low sexual desire and no sexual desire and make them horny, and it fucking doesn't. Not to mention, you can't drink alcohol with it. Absolutely no alcohol for the 12 weeks of using it. So, um, not only does it not work, it's dangerous. And women are fainting and they're falling asleep at the wheel while they're driving, as they did in some of the drug trials. And uh, no, I, I I would not recommend this drug to anyone at all, so especially you, this, this woman here. You professionally, if you were at a friend's house and she was opening a bottle of this answer in female Viagra to take a pill, would you leap from your seat and knock it out of her hands? I would leap it. I would replace <laughs> the hand with a glass of wine, which is much more aphrodisiac than phlebanserin is. Dr. Lori Brodo, psychologist, sex researcher at the UBC in Vancouver and frequent guest star on the Savage Love Test. Thank you so much for making time for us. We always really, really, really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, Dan. 
Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old straight female from Chicago, and my boyfriend and I really like to have rough sex where he'll be really rough while I'm giving him a blowjob. I really love it that way. Um, this summer, when we were when I was going down on him and um, he was pushing me down on his cock, which was consensual, um, I dislocated my jaw a little bit. Um, I went to the dentist and um, told him I bit too hard on an apple, and he reset my jaw. And I let it heal for the prescribed amount of time. But now, sometimes when I give him a blowjob, this this repeat. And I haven't really found anything on the Internet about it. I was wondering if you had any insight on maybe, like, how to get this to stop happening or how long should I wait for it to fix itself or if any of your listeners had ever had this experience and know if it will ever go away. I've never heard of this. We'll toss this out there to the listeners and see if anyone out there in Savage Lovecast listener land has had experience with repeated and regular dislocation of the jaw due to oral sex. But my advice to you, my conservative kind of mom advice to you would be stop doing it. Falls under the heading of doctor, doctor, it hurts when I go like this. And doctor says, don't go like that. That if your boyfriend is such a fucking jackhammer when you guys have rough sex and you give him a blowjob, that he's dislocating your jaw over and over and over again, stop blowing him. Do other things or find a new blowjob style that gives him pleasure. That's rough enough for both of you to find the turn on in it. But that isn't this rough. That isn't this style of rough. That's regularly injuring your face. Stop it. Stop it. Strap him fucking down or whatever it is. If he is, if you are deep throating him, if he is jackhammering away, if it is the sort of gagging, the person getting the blowjob in complete control with the head in his hands, which can be really hot. I'm not saying a blowjob has to be bunnies and flowers and ice cream cone licks. Like a blowjob can be rough and tough and interesting and fun and, and sexy if it works for both those people. And maybe it works for you. That rough style of blowjob works for you erotically, emotionally, uh, and relationally in this relationship, it totally works for you. But physically, it's not working for you. And if physically it's not working for you, then it's disqualified. That style of blowjob technique has to be removed from the menu because you can't keep having your jaw dislocated every time you give your boyfriend head. Too high a price to pay for oral sex, for his pleasure. Find a new style, but keep listening to the Lovecast. And in a week or two, I'm sure we will get a few calls, a few responses from listeners who may have had experience with this exact same injury, phenomena, shit show. Hi, this is a comment for the caller in episode 480 who has a really conservative Mormon family uh, in the Midwest. I just want to say, Dan, your advice was awesome. I wasn't raised Mormon. I was raised uh, Mooney, uh, Reverend Sung Young Moon's Unification Church, and my family was super conservative. I have a large family, too, and um, I just want to agree that you don't have to spend time with your family at Christmas. I have become a self-designated orphan over the holidays, and I decided to kind of assemble my own logical family instead of constantly going through the uphill battle of contradicting values with my really conservative family. And I used to actually feel 
kind of alienated and emotionally blackmailed uh, by my family, and you don't have to go through that anymore. There are people out there who will love and support you that are not your biological family, and it'll it'll get better over time. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm a 28-year-old trans gay guy, and I wanted to give you a call and say that your advice to that older cisgender guy who was asking about hooking up with the 19-year-old trans guy was spot on. Um, my advice that is that he should just ask that 19-year-old guy what his preferences are, what he wants to do, what he likes. And if that doesn't align with whatever he's looking for, then crisis averted. Um, another tip to avoid setting off feelings of dysphoria with a new partner, younger or not, is to just ask them what they prefer to have their anatomy like called. I know it sounds kind of weird to ask, but I don't think so. I'm older, so I just make my preferences known. But it wouldn't hurt to take an extra step with a younger guy who doesn't sound as experienced. All guys are different. Some are comfortable with pussy and vagina and all that, while other guys, it can really turn them off. Anyway, Dan, I think you've become amazing at talking about trans people and transsexualities, and I really want to thank you for taking the time to become that person that you are. It just really lifts my spirits to hear other gay men speak out with such informed caring. Hi, uh, calling about the uh, woman whose boyfriend sends her dick pics and she's kind of giving him a little white lie by pretending to like it and you were kind of uh, in favor of that. Dan, weren't you and Nancy just like yelling at women for being doormats and kind of blaming them for their own like culturally induced passivity like four episodes ago? Like, I know it sounds like this is a really middling white lie and it is, but I think it's one of those kinds of ways of humoring men that women are far more likely to do than dudes are. And, you know, I know you've had some people kind of uh, saying that they love to see uh, dick pics, but let's face it, the majority of women do not love that. So, you know, why not encourage this woman to, like, exercise a boundary or at least be honest about what she likes and dislikes? It's already such a problem, as you and Nancy noted, that a lot of women don't feel comfortable saying what they want or saying when something kind of skeeves them out. Sure, looking at a dick pic wasn't like traumatizing to her or anything, but it's just one of those things that like a lot of dudes do feel really entitled about and feel really entitled to getting a positive reaction to it. And, you know, it's kind of a death by a thousand cuts when it comes to the whole gender socialization thing. So why not, in the spirit of teaching women to be a little bit more tough and nut busting, like why not just encourage this woman to be honest? And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Hump, my porn festival is coming to San Francisco January 28th to 30th. It'll be playing at the Victoria Theater. Go to humptour.com for information about tickets and showtime. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Dr. Lori Brodo on Twitter at Dr. Lori Brodo. Speaking of Twitter, Studs Kyle tweets, Hey Dan, I called a question into your show two months ago. How many of your callers do you actually answer on the air? Unfortunately, we can only get to a small percentage of the calls we receive here at the Savage Lovecast. If you called in and we haven't responded within a week or two to your call, we're probably not going to be able to get to it, and I apologize Hopefully I am not the only person out there that you can turn to for advice. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for